Let me invite all of you here and those of you in the CLC, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. After spending over three chapters talking about the church, toward the end of his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul turns his attention to giving some pastoral encouragement, pastoral direction to um, husbands and wives and to parents. I want to call your attention, first of all, to what he says in chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Now, drop down to chapter 6, and he continues now to talk to parents. He begins by saying, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And then he says this, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I want to talk to you this morning about some secrets for above-average fatherhood. Now, for those of you who are under 30, uh, there was a time when songs and albums uh, came on vinyl records, and they were played not on iPhones, but on record players. And there was this woman who had called a record store to buy a particular romantic song she was interested in. But in calling, uh, she missed one digit of the phone number, and instead of getting the record store, she got a plumber in New Jersey. <laughs> Unaware of her mistake, she asked, do you have eyes of blue and a heart that's true? And the plumber was understandably confused by this female voice. And he said, no ma'am, but I do have a wife and eight kids. And she said, is that a record? And he said, I don't know, but it's way above average. I want to talk to you this morning about three secrets for above-average fatherhood. Again, if you were born in the last 25 years, you would have no reference point to the breathtaking changes that have occurred in our country socially or to the world that I grew up in, in the 50s and 60s, before mass media, before smartphones, before computers, uh, 
when America still acknowledged Judeo-Christian values, when sex before marriage was understood to be wrong, when marriage was commonly understood to be between a man and a woman, and when a man had a much clearer idea of what it meant to be a father in terms of protecting and providing. In a very short time, our world has become much more secular, more culturally diverse. The Christian church is much less attended and carries less influence, and our culture is less attuned to biblical values. And if you're over 30, you already know that which is why on Father's Day it is important that we as Christians have a clear understanding of what fatherhood is as presented in the Bible. In chapters 4 and 5, Paul has turned his attention to godly advice to families. And in the scripture I read, there are three secrets you may want to write them down to being a godly father. I want to turn your attention back to verse 25. The first secret is this. Fathers, love your children's mother. Would Paul say, husbands, love your wives? It may sound counterintuitive when talking about a role of a father for children that the first secret is to love their mother, but that's true. What is our goal as a Christian father? It is to raise kids who are emotionally healthy and who are able to leave home with a strong spiritual foundation, find a job, pay their bills, be kind to others, be able to have a meaningful relationship with other people on their own. And one of the ways a father can work toward that end is to love your wife. Why? Because when you love your wife, you model for your children how to be a father, how to be a husband. When you love your wife, your kids gain an emotional security knowing that no matter what happens to them in life, their home of origin is always going to be there. When you love your wife, you fill her cup so when she's depleted or exasperated or had it up to here, you can give her a break so that she can be the mother she needs and wants to be. When your marriage is good, there is a common direction and a common purpose and a common value which are irreplaceable when raising children. In Ken Cranford's book on fatherhood, he includes an essay written by a sixth grade girl for the National Center for Fatherhood. And this is what she wrote about fathers and divorce. Everybody in my family has had to put up with a lot for all the things that have gone wrong. 
One thing about divorce is that when I go over to a friend's house to spend the night, their fathers usually come in and say good night. When my father comes over to get something and he's about to leave, he always comes over and kisses me on the cheek and says goodbye and walks out. And it hurts a lot. And sometimes I just want to cry because there's a huge difference between good night and goodbye. Husbands, love your wives. Take time to renew your love for each other. Find time to talk. Take getaways um, so that your wife feels heard. And while it is true that our children need for us to be there for them at band concerts and sport events and church events and all of those other things, they also need to see what a healthy marriage looks like and how good husbands act. They need to know there's still some kind of a magic between their mother and their father. Love your wife. That's the first secret to above-average fatherhood. Um, the second secret uh, is there in um, verse of 4. Look again at what Paul says. Um, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. I wonder why he said that. Well, you know why he said that. Because that's what fathers naturally do. They drive their kids crazy. Now, um, the positive way to express what um, Paul is saying, when he says, don't exasperate your kids, the positive way of saying that is encourage your children. Um, and let me take a moment to try to unpack that with three words. Write them down. Accept your child, be available to your child, and show affection to your child. That's how you encourage a child. That's how you move against the natural tendency that fathers have to exasperate uh, their children. When you accept your child, you show them that they're worth something. One of the things that surprised me as a parent early on was how unique my children were. And it didn't come from anything I had done or didn't do. They had different food preferences. They had personality characteristics, unique gifts and ways of looking at things. Your child is their own unique person. And one of the best gifts you can give them is when you accept them for who they are with the same kind of unconditional love that your heavenly Father has given you and me. My uh, father looked forward to my being an engineer. He never went to college. He had grown up in the Depression and worked hard in a blue-collar job all of his life, and he wanted me to have a better life than he did. And early on, he instilled in me, you are going to go to college, you're going to be an engineer um, and make something um, of yourself, and so I did. I went to Virginia Tech, and I enrolled in engineering, and I made good grades. 
And I can tell you, he was so happy and so uh, proud. But the truth is, I didn't like any of my engineering courses. They bored me stiff. Um, what I really liked was being at the Baptist Student Center, learning about the Bible, and teaching it to other college students. And so, uh, during my sophomore year, when I felt uh, called into the ministry and knew what direction that was going to lead me, I was scared to tell my dad I wasn't going to be an engineer. And when I finally got up the courage to tell him, I mean, you could, <clears throat> you could see the disappointment in his face. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was like a dream had died. And I will never forget the two things he said to me. The first thing he said in no uncertain terms is he could not believe that I was wasting such an opportunity to make something of myself and to make a good living. He said, being a preacher, you're going to have a hundred bosses all your life and you're going to be poor as a church mouse. He at the time was not a, uh, not a Christian and he didn't have much use for the church, I might add. Um, the first thing he said was, um, I'm, I'm so disappointed that you're losing this opportunity. And then after a long pause, he said this. He said, but if that's the choice you make, I will support you all the way. And he did. My dad made a lot of mistakes as a father. But I never doubted his unconditional love. And one of the reasons I left home feeling like I was worth something is because he accepted me for who I was. Accept your child and they'll grow up knowing their value because of who they are. And secondly, um, be available to your children. It's been said, but it's worth repeating. Children spell love, T-I-M-E. And by the way, face-to-face -face time, when they have your undivided attention, is worth 10 times the tag-along time when they're just along for the ride. When you make yourself available to your kids, you teach them that they are important to you. Um, some of you will remember the words uh, written by Harry Chapin, uh, Cats in the Cradle. And he says, as well as anything I can think of, what I'm trying to communicate here. The words go like this. My child arrived just the other day. He came into the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. Uh, he learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew up, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be 
like you. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon and little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me how to throw? And I said, no, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, well, that's okay. And he walked away, and his smile never dimmed. And it said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be just like him. And the cat's in the cradle, and the silver spoon, little boy blue, and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know. But we'll get together, you know, we'll have a good time then. Well, he came home from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm so proud of you. Can you sit for a while? And, and, and he shook his head and he said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? The cat's in the cradle. And the silver spoon and the little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. You know, we'll have a good time then. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon and the little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, son? I don't know, but we'll get together then, Dad. You know, we'll have a good time then. Well, I... I've long since retired, and my son's moved away, and I called him up just the other day, and I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind, and he said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle, and the kids have the flu, but it's sure been nice talking to you, sure been nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me He had grown up to be just like me. My boy was just like me. Accept them and be available to them because they spell love, T-I-M-E. And then thirdly, um, show them affection so that they know they are lovable. Um, I would say this, children can't get enough affection. Uh, Hug them, kiss them, tell them you love them. They can't hear it too much. And don't stop when they become a teenager because that's when they're going through their own sense of self-identity and self-worth and personal uh, sense of uh, esteem. Maybe that's when they need it most, even when their inclination is to push you away. Here's a letter written to well-known counselor Norman Wright, um, an excerpt from a letter from a young woman. Um, This is what she said. When I was only 14, I dated a boy who was 18 years old. And after a month or so, he told me he loved me and that if I loved him, I'd have sex with him. And if I wouldn't, We'd have to break up. 
And what did I think at 14 years of age? I knew that sex was wrong before marriage. But I was so unsure of my own father's love, and I wanted so badly for a man to love me, and I I always felt like I had to earn my father's love, that the better I was at home with chores, the more A's I made on my report card, that the more my father would love me. And so there was my boyfriend, whom I really liked him, and I thought I loved, telling me he loved me, and well, I needed that love, and if the condition to keep it was to have sex with him, I felt like I had... No choice. I didn't want to lose my purity. But I didn't want to lose the young man who loved me. And so I finally gave in. Now, um, years later, uh, she made this entry in her diary. Tonight, I thought about the many times in my Life that I have felt intense loneliness as though I was in this life all by myself. And I realized that what I was lonely for was a daddy to be able to call up when I was hurt and to hear him say that he understood and to have him just listen to me and I could call him up because of our special relationship but I've never had that with my dad and so I'm lonely without a link to my past and then I thought about that young girl who at 14 gave in to a young man's pressure because she was searching for her daddy's love. And I wanted to somehow stop her and tell her that she was never going to find it in another man. And how my heart hurts when I think of this girl, when I think of myself so many years ago. My life has been one big search for my daddy's love. Uh, Norman Wright says as a P.S. that this lady found the unconditional love she was looking for in her heavenly father when at age 21 she met Jesus Christ and found that he loved her even though she was a sinner, that he had died on the cross for her sins so that she could be his special child. Accept your child. Be available to your child. Show your child affection. All of those are are like facets in a diamond for encouraging your child. And when you do, the better you do, I mean, it's the secret for being above average father. Um, Look again at verse 4, the latter part of verse 4. There's a third secret I want to show you. Um, Paul says, bring your children up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. The third secret is this. Grow your own spiritual life with Christ. He says... Bring your child up in the instruction 
and training of the Lord. And the best way to do that is for you and me to keep growing spiritually. No matter where you are in your spiritual life, no matter how long you have been a Christian, because you cannot give what you don't have. You cannot give what you don't have. And the Christian life is basically not propositional. It is relational. It is basically a relationship that we have with a personal God. It is a change from trusting ourselves, which we do all of our lives, to learning to trust Him. It's not much in so much in our heads as it is a change that happens in our hearts. And when we grow spiritually, we behave differently and we think differently and we act differently and we serve differently and we actually become more and more like Jesus. Paul says the fruit of God's spirit in us is love and peace and joy. And those things are not so much manufactured as they are the outgrowth of what happens when something is happening inside of you that didn't come from you, but comes when you yield to His being in you. Which means... The more you grow spiritually, the more forgiving, the more loving, the more kind, the more joyful, the less selfish, and the easier to be around you're going to be. And that's going to help everybody, isn't it? By the way, your children already know you're not perfect. And that's not the point. The point is for them to be able to see that you're growing. Um, That you... It's really important to you. And when you pray, or when you read your Bible, or when you look above for guidance, or when you actually put your money in the offering plate and it amounts to something, or when you find places to serve, or when you actually talk about your faith, your kids will get the sense that it matters to you. Even if it didn't matter, and you tell them at one point I was here, but then this happened, you help them understand how a personal God interacts with people like you and me. And your child picks up that what is central to your life is your faith in God. Um, I I don't want to oversound this, but there's a part of me that believes that as much as any time in my lifetime, uh, we need the stability of fathers, Christian fathers, who understand from a biblical perspective what that means for our country, um, for our general population, for our churches, but especially for our kids. 
when, when I think of the enormity of negativity that is being pumped into children's lives day after day, I say, dear God, we need fathers who can emulate what it means to be above average and to model what a biblical father looks like. Sinner in all. And the three secrets to doing that from Paul are these. Love your wife. Encourage your children. And keep growing your own personal love relationship with God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, in a message like this, it's easy for most of us to feel um, a wave of guilt and regret because as fathers, we all fall so short. For that, we ask your forgiveness. But I pray that it would also be an encouragement for all of us um, to grasp the tools for being the best father we can be. Not according to the world's standards and not according to the fads that are all around us, but according to your word, for the sake of our homes, for the sake of our children, and for the sake of ourselves. And so I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. As we come to a time of invitation, I know um, that God is always seeking and speaking and working. And I mean, there have been times in my own life when the topic of a particular message had nothing to do really with what was going on in my life. But God was speaking to me nonetheless. And if he's speaking to you, you have the obligation to listen. And you always do better when you're prompted to move in the direction that he's leading. So, if you're not a Christian today, um... The invitation is for you to come here to the altar and to begin the journey of faith. It's that simple. It ain't easy, but it's simple. We can help you, but you need to take the first step and say, I, I want a journey with Christ. I want to know I'm forgiven. I want to know I'm going to heaven. And while we sing this hymn, that's an opportunity for you to come by coming to the front saying, I want to begin the journey. Or if you are a Christian and you want to serve Jesus in this place, then you come and say, I want to be a part of Bonsac. I want to be a member here. I want to be a part of this fellowship. Let me offer this invitation. If you're a father and you would take your stand this morning just by coming to the altar and saying, I want to be the best Christian father I can be. I know I'm not perfect, 
but I want to serve God. I want my kids to see Jesus in me. Sometimes just making that statement allows things to change inside of us so that God can do his work. Let's stand together as we sing.